All right, so let's turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We covered verse 1 last week. Today, we're going to try to cover verses 2 through 4. But I'm just going to start at the beginning again, read verses 1 through 4. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you'd once again send your Holy Spirit. We know that he's already here among us. We thank you that you promised whenever two or more gathered together in your name, you would be there in the midst of them. But we pray that you would cause your Holy Spirit to teach us, to feed us, to lead us and guide us into all truth. Lord, just have your way with us here today. Touch our hearts, touch our minds. Transform us by the renewing of our minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is where we left off last Sunday on verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. I believe we may have read this verse last week. We'll do it again just for recap. John 14, 15. If you love me, says Jesus, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So we have two things here. The indicator is that if we really know God, we love God, we will obey Jesus, and we do have the direct words of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. But then we have the entire Old and New Testament, which is the Word of God, the Word of the Father to us, and so we are we are uh, basically commanded to keep the commands of Christ and the commands of the Father. If we truly love God and His Son, which is what we read here, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, verse 1, is born of God, everyone who loves Him, who begot, the Father begot the Son, right? He's the only begotten Son. Everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten. And so if we truly love God and we love His Son... And that's, that's part of the deal. That's part of the package. That's what we've been learning in this passage. If you say you love God, then you need to love His Son. If you love the Son, then you will love the Father. Then we will obey them. And if we love them both, again, not by how demonstrative we can be. There's nothing wrong with being demonstrative. I love it when you guys get a little excited during the worship. I think it's good to get excited about God. I think He deserves to be excited about. What do you think? But it's not that type of thing necessarily that is the true indicator of whether or not we love Him according to the Scriptures that we're reading here today. The true evidence, the strongest evidence that we love God is that we obey Him. We obey the Father, we obey the Son. And then what John is telling us then the natural outgrowth of that will be that we will love God's kids as well. Now think about this. You have a close friend or family member, and you've got a really great relationship, and maybe it's gone on for a long time. 
And maybe it started when you were young, before you even started to have kids. And then you both, you know, both families start to grow. You begin to have children. Because of the, of the love and the, and the relationship you've had with these people, when they start having kids, you immediately love their kids, right? Because the, they're the offspring of these deep friends, these relationships that you've had. You know, a lot of time growing up, I was real close with a lot of my cousins. We'd always get together for all the family gatherings over there in Phoenix, Arizona. And I still have strong ties to certain ones in particular. But it starts with that relationship with the father, the parents, and then automatically when they begin to have offspring, when they begin to begat, (laughs) you love them as well. There are so many verses in the New Testament, I'll just read a few, about one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love, not because you think you have to, but because the love of God dwells within you and the natural outgrowth, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Serve one another in love. Ephesians 4.2, be patient, bearing with one another in love putting up with each other. Not, again, not because we have to, but because we love each other. You know what? Well, maybe so-and-so did do something goofy, say something goofy, but you know what? I love them. And I've experienced that. You probably have too. How do you know when you really love God and you really love His kids? Even when they do something dumb, something stupid, something goofy, you still love them. You don't reject them. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. How did Jesus forgive us? Completely, absolutely, agape love, unconditional love, right? We're to forgive each other the same way. Well, I forgive you, but you're going to have to, you know, shape up, step up, get your act together, brother. Now, that's not how God forgave us. Unconditionally, without reservation, without hesitation. And so all these verses, by the way, as you probably recognize here, were written by the Apostle Paul, by the way, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is God speaking to us through Paul that this is how we're to treat one another. And we must consider these as commandments. They're not suggestions. Serve one another in love. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and so forth. These are commandments. And we're told if you love God, you'll keep His commandments. Verse 3. For this is the love of, or one translation reads for, kind of like that better really. For this is the love for God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So again, I love the clarity and specificity of the Bible and John's teaching here in particular. He spells it out clearly. This is what love for God looks like. Again, when we gather to worship, to fellowship, that's fantastic. But it's just one small piece of the pie, if you will. We have seven days a week and what approximately, if you get an eight hour of sleep, which a lot of us probably don't anymore. But you're talking uh, 7 times 16 hours, you know, what, 112 hours a week that we're awake minimum. And so 
There's a lot more to it than just what we do on Sunday mornings. This is a, this is a starting point where we continue to build our foundation in the faith. It's a launch pad for the rest of the week. That's why it's important, I think, to do this. But we're talking about every day, a lifestyle, walking in the Spirit. This is what love for God looks like. This is where the rubber meets the road. And this is what John says, that we keep His commandments. Now, just about anybody can put on a, a good face for an hour and a half on Sunday, two hours, right? It just doesn't take a whole lot of effort. But what's the rest of the week like? What's the rest of that 112 hours look like? We keep His commandments. It means we don't ignore them. We don't discard them or disregard them. We don't throw them away. That's the opposite of keeping, isn't it? Getting rid of, disposing of, ignoring. No, we're to observe them. We're to obey them. This is what the love for God looks like. Maybe you can sing loud and proud on Sunday morning. That's great. I encourage you guys all the time to really give it up for Jesus. But the question is, what does the rest of the week look like? The other, you know, 110 hours. 1 Samuel 15, 23. Remember, God had told us all to destroy the entire group of people that they were attacking. And he didn't do it. He disobeyed God because of greed. He saw an opportunity for plunder there. Then he claimed that the, the livestock and all the other things were kept so that they could be sacrificed to God, which was a lie. God sends the prophet Samuel, chastise him. For, Samuel says this to Saul. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you've rejected the word of the Lord. And again, Saul, he was partially obedient and partially disobedient. And in God's eyes, partial obedience is disobedience. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. God takes this very seriously. This is what the love for God looks like, that we keep his commandments. Saul claimed to be a man after God's own heart. David was a man after God's own heart. Neither man was perfect. But the difference was Saul would not admit his sin Saul would not repent of his sin. David was always quick to admit his sin and to repent and move on with God. Because of Saul's rebellion, the kingship, the throne was taken from him and given to David. I like this next part. This is important. His commandments are not burdensome, writes John. This is what the love for God looks like, that we keep his commandments and by the way, they're not burdensome. You know, contrary to what many people think, believe, and even say, they'll say something like, oh, it's just too hard to serve God, to obey His Word. God expects too much. After all, I'm only human. As if God didn't know that. But it's actually, this is what's interesting, and so this is so typical. It's actually men's commands that are burdensome. Did you know that? Jesus uh, covers that, Matthew 23, 1 through 4. Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. 
In other words, the seat of leadership over the people of Israel. The spiritual leaders of Israel, even as Moses was their leader a long time before. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. So Jesus is saying that even if those in positions of leadership, of power, are hypocrites, uh, if they uh, maybe are not even worthy of that position, because of the position, they sit in Moses' seat. That observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For, and this is what we're really getting to here, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move, move them with one of their fingers. So Jesus was teaching the people, teaching his disciples that these heavy burdens come not from God, but from men. And oftentimes the purpose is to manipulate, to control. And we see that both in the church world and we see it in the secular world. This pharisaical, in fact, I say many of the modern day Pharisees are alive and well in Washington, D.C. It's a, it's a pharisaical spirit where they want to tell us what, how to live, what to do to control every area of our lives while they, while they themselves are corrupt and drunk with power and with monetary gain. And that was also true of these scribes and Pharisees. The Sadducees in particular were the wealthiest class. But the point is God's commands, contrary, the enemy wants people to believe that God's commands are burdensome. It's just too hard. I can't do it. But when in fact God lightens the load that others put upon us and that oftentimes we put upon ourselves. Did you know that? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, the boss might say, you've got to work overtime again this week. You're putting in 50, 60, 70, 80 hours. He's certainly not lighting, lightening your load, is he? But Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. It's not the burdens of God that are overbearing. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Verse 29, take my yoke. And that yoke is what they would use to control the oxen pulling the wagon or what have you. Kind of like the, the halter on a horse, the bridle and so forth. With the oxen, it was the yoke. So God is, yeah, perfectly right in acknowledging His desire is to lead us, to control our lives, but for our own good, for our own benefit. Because He made us and He knows how things work best. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the deception of the enemy that, man, it's just too hard to serve God. And yet it's just the opposite is true. Because when you yield your life over to God and you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you, things go a whole lot better than when you're running the show. 
You know, it's actually harder to rebel against God than it is to just yield to Him and obey Him. A lot of people in this room know what I'm talking about. Because we were all once in rebellion to God, were we not? Remember the story of Saul, who became Paul? He's on his road to Damascus, going to arrest some Christians. Then he, uh, he has this encounter with the risen Christ. Blinding light knocks him off of his horse. Then he fell to the ground, verse 4, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because you see, by persecuting the people of God, Saul was actually persecuting Jesus. Because we're his kids. You come after my kids, you're coming after me, right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Saul said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, yipes, <laughs> whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And this quote from the Believer's Study Bible says, Saul, Paul, is pictured as an unwilling animal such as an ox or donkey. The beast kicks vigorously at the driving goad, which may have been an extremely sharp piece of metal at the end of a staff. The picture suggests that this hard-crusted and zealous young man had been struggling for some time with his conscience. Now, just by observation, I'm sure most of you here this morning can think about this. Picture in your mind someone that you know, and maybe it was you. Someone that was fighting God, rebelling against God, resisting God, and what their overall demeanor was like, their overall attitude, and then compare that to somebody who's in submission to God. Do you see the difference? It's harder to rebel against God than it is to yield your life over to Him. It's a much harder path. And that's the path that Paul was on until Jesus graciously intervened and encountered him on the road to Damascus. Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You're fighting me, buddy, but you're not going to win. And you know what? That's a fight you don't ever want to win. When you're fighting against God, you better hope and pray that you lose and he wins. Right? Because if you win, then you actually lose. Get it? And a lot of times we're fighting against God and we don't even know it. Because we're just pursuing our own selfish agenda, leaving God out of the equation, and yet the Holy Spirit's been there the whole time, drawing us to God, calling us. It's such a relief to just give it all over to Him, isn't it? How many of you know what that's like? You remember that when you accepted Christ and you felt that great weight lifted off of you? Do you remember that? And sometimes we've got to go back and get that weight off again. Because we allow the things of this world to build up the yoke of this world, the yoke of men. We have to realize, recognize it, and cast it off and get back to that easy yoke that Christ puts upon us. Verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. 
or everyone. One translation says, everyone, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And why is it important to overcome the world? Because when we read about the world and the Word of God, it's talking about the realm of whom? Satan. Satan, the Bible tells us, is the prince of this world. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, they turned the dominion over to Satan. God had given them the dominion, but they yielded it over to the devil. And so the world became a place where the ultimate goal under Satan's world system is the destruction of humanity. John 12, 31, John 14, 30, John 16, 11, all these talk about Satan and his role as the prince of this world. And he's battling for our very souls. The new birth enables us to overcome the world, hence overcoming Satan. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, or everyone born of God overcomes the world. We want to be able to overcome this world because it is evil and destructive because it has become the domain of the prince of darkness, Satan. John 2, 16, 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, and so John delineates what he's talking about, the lust of the flesh, a lot of that going around, right? And we struggle with it. Believers struggle with it as well. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. You see something, man, oh, would I love to have that, whatever it might be. It could be a thing, it could be a person. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Self-esteem, if you will. Accomplishment. Notoriety. Recognition. Look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. So on and so forth. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the things we must overcome in order to be followers of Christ. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We just see more and more violence erupting all around us, do we not? There was another big shooting in Texas over the weekend. We see these crazy things happening at kids' sporting events. Big brawls breaking out. Adults fighting, beating up one another. People attacking each other. The uh, server at McDonald's because they forgot the hash browns. Crazy, nutty things. Have you noticed this? And the sad thing is, as time goes on, you just become insulated to it. You just become, well, that's just, that, that's what happens. But this is what we must overcome. This is the pride of life. For someone to think that they have the right to attack somebody else because they forgot their hash browns, because some stupid thing had a, happened at a kid's baseball game, or even worse with some of these crazy mass shootings that are going on. That's the pride of life. I have a right to do this, that, and the other, and you don't have a right to do anything about it. You hurt my feelings, so I'm going to kill you. If that isn't the personification of the evil of this world, I don't know what is. 
you're going to vote for this person or that person or support this candidate, I'm going to beat the snot out of you. That's where we're at today. That's the evidence of a world that's turned its back on God, a world that is full of the pride of life. And the crazy thing is you wouldn't have that life unless God gave it to you. You see, if you're truly born of God, says John, the ways of this world, the wiles of the devil, will not overtake you. They shouldn't. If you're truly born of God, then you should be able to overcome this world. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some people become obsessed with fighting evil, you know, and I knew a guy years ago, I mean, he was, wow, hip deep in the hoopla. He was a believer, but he, was, he had a ninja outfit. And he would go out in the dark of night, and he would roam through the busky looking for witches. I'm serious. You know, and you know these people, there's a demon. Now, let's not downplay. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in the heavenly realms. It's real. But you know what? God doesn't want us to be obsessed with that stuff. He wants us to be obsessed with Him. We don't overcome evil by looking under every rock for it. We overcome evil by doing good in the name of the Lord. You know, a lot of people are into this, I bind you Satan stuff. You know what? If that worked, things would have changed a long time ago. Really, you think you little wimpy, shrimpy human being can bind Satan? That's ludicrous. There's only one person that can bind Satan, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to be in fear of him. Draw near to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But you see the focus? It's, I, I bind you, Satan. No, you draw near to God. And the closer you get to God, the farther away the devil moves. He doesn't want to get anywhere near God. He's scared to death of God. So you draw near to God. And the devil goes, I'm out of here. You see how it works? And people get so caught up in this obsession with evil. It is all around us. But we're to overcome it. Not nurture it. Not give it too much airtime. Not I bind you, Satan, but I love you, Lord, and I desire to do your will. Draw near to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. John says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. So first he's telling us, everyone born of God overcomes the world. So if you're born of God, you should be an overcomer. And here's the source, our faith. It is our faith in Jesus Christ that enables us to overcome the devil and this world that he controls. But guess what? Where did that faith come from? It came from him. It's a gift. That's why I tell you all the time, two key things that I pray for, for everybody near and dear to me, everybody that I love and care about, and I'm concerned about their salvation, their eternal destination. Father, please give them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. You've got to have those two things. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because you must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. It is our faith 
that helps us to overcome, enables us to overcome the world. But we, it doesn't come from within us. It comes from Him. It's a gift from God. And you also must have repentance. You must be truly repentant, remorseful for the fact that you are a sinner, that you have grieved the heart of God. To repent means I want to turn and go the other way. We could throw in confession too. But if you have the gift of faith and the gift of repentance, the natural outgrowth will be that you will confess your sins before God. You're not ashamed. You're not embarrassed. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm no different than anybody else. The two biggest problems people face, on the one hand, they think I'm better than everybody else. You might need God because you're weak. You need a crutch. I don't. And the other side is, I'm too bad. I'm t- God will never accept me. I'm too horrible. Both of those are lies from the devil. Nobody's too good for God and nobody's too bad for God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? It is our faith given to us by God that enables us to overcome the devil and this world that he controls. Luke 10, 19, Jesus told his disciples, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Again, not binding, but trampling on by the authority of Christ, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, by the way, we know we have the snake-handling churches down south. That doesn't always turn out well. In the Bible, snakes and scorpions can be metaphorical for Satan's demons. What Jesus is saying is that he's given us power and authority over the enemy, over his minions, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is the victory, our faith. We talked, our whole message a couple of weeks ago was on the subject of fear and how God's perfect love casts out all fear. John 16, 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then he turns right around and says, in the world you will have trouble. Really? Then how am I supposed to have peace? But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. There it is again. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, not just in anyone or anything, but in the one and only Son of God. Take heart. Even though you will have trouble in this world, take heart. I've overcome the world. If you stick with me, if you hang on to me, if you keep your eyes on me, everything's going to be okay because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. He defeated Satan when he died on the cross and three days later rose from the dead. And here's this final triumph for victory. Read about in Revelation 17, 14. They will wage war against the Lamb, these crazy people here on earth. We already know there's a lot of people who hope to God that Jesus never comes back, right? That's their worst nightmare. I mean, if you're a believer, you're longing for it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, right? But if you don't know him and you don't love him, then the idea of him coming back is your worst nightmare. 
They will wage war against the Lamb. Well, they did it before. Remember, 2,000 years ago. The devil and his cohorts, be they demonic or human, waged war against the Son of God, thought they had won when they saw him up there on that cross, but when they saw him burst forth out of that grave, man, they took off running. They lost. But they're going to try it again at the second coming of Christ, not the rapture, but after the tribulation when we return with him to rule and reign for a thousand years, they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Hello? That's us. That's us. Verse 5, our final verse this morning. Who is it that overcomes the world? We're going to recap here, says John. Only. That's a very important word. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You can't just believe he's a good man, a good teacher, one, uh, many incarnations of the Christ consciousness. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he's pretty cool, man. I put him right up there with Buddha and, you know, uh, Allah and all these other guys, you know, and uh, Krishna. Pretty cool. Long hair, sandals, groovy guy, man. No, only, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, big S, big G. And so John takes us right back to where we started from, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, Mashiach, the anointed one, the chosen one, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God, only whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him. Somehow, this is the message we have to get across to people. It's a challenge. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we do it. Faith in Yeshua HaMashiach is our only hope in overcoming this satanic world. Only hope. Often we look around, we see what's happening. I've talked about those, some of those things this morning. People do feel helpless. They feel hopeless. They feel overwhelmed. Our only hope is in Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. This satanic world system, and thereby avoiding the destruction that's coming upon a sinful world. I, I want to close with the Apostles' Creed. I love this. And oftentimes it seems like, sadly... Many believers, though they love God, have a difficult time just defining, delineating, clearly stating their faith. It's not called the Apostles' Creed because they wrote it themselves, but because it contains a brief summary of their teachings. It sets forth their doctrine, the Apostles' Doctrine, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And... Um, and it's been said about this creed, in sublime simplicity, in unsurpassable brevity, in beautiful order, and with liturgical solemnity. Let's stand, and I want to read that together as we close. The Apostles' Creed. This is how we overcome the world, folks, whose prince is Satan. Let's read this together. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ,
His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in a holy Catholic church, small c. The word Catholic means universal. That's where the word came from, originally with a small c. It just meant there's one God, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one family of God. I believe in a holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have made it possible for us to overcome this world, this satanic world system, which is designed ultimately for the purpose of destroying mankind. Satan is the one who comes with to steal, kill, and destroy. But Lord, you've come that we might have life and life more abundantly. Father, help us to learn better how to become, how to be overcomers. You've given us the victory in Christ. Lord, it's important that we walk in it, that we know it, that we understand it, that we believe it, that we live it. Lord, and we see how it's all wrapped up in this idea of loving you and loving one another. Lord, if we have anger, hatred, bitterness, resentment in our hearts, then we're not going to be overcomers. We have to be able to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love one another as ourselves. To love one another as Christ has loved us. Lord, help us. Give us strength. Lord, we know you've done the heavy lifting. And as we've talked about this morning, your yoke is easy, your burden is light. You said that if we would come unto you, you would give us rest. Your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Lord, help us to throw off the heavy burden that others try to put on us, the heavy burden that we sometimes put upon ourselves, and the burden that the enemy would just love to lay all over us. Lord, forgive us for allowing him to do that. Lord Jesus, you died a horrible death so that we might have an easy yoke and a light burden as we go through this life. Lord, your, your word says... Today has enough problems of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Take one day at a time. And that's part of learning how to walk under that easy yoke, that light burden. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who's been really weighed down. And maybe this morning they've now seen, they've realized through this time in your word that they don't have to live like that. Whether the weight is unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, resentment, legalism, could be an addiction. There are so many ways that this world heaps up heavy burdens upon us. But you said we don't have to live like that. We can get rid of it. I pray that they would come for prayer today. And, and you said you came to set the captives free. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that's captive to anything not of you, that they'd be set free today. They would reach out to you and receive the ministry of your Holy Spirit to set them free. 
And Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, that today they might receive Christ as Lord and Savior and be truly set free. That they might receive that gift of faith, that gift of repentance, and have a transformative, life-changing, born-again experience with you today. Lord, for others, it might be a need for healing. Whatever it is, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit, touch each heart, each mind. May we leave here today encouraged, excited, motivated, energized to walk in the Spirit as victorious overcomers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.